As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today we take a close look at the bottom of the table after wins for both Everton and Burnley. But defeats for Leeds, Watford and Norwich who are now down back to the Championship. They'll be replaced by Fulham. We'll talk about Alexander Mitrovic and also the chances of Bournemouth or Nottingham Forest being in the top flight. Also, you'll get an update on the ownership of Chelsea. What next for the club? We'll also talk about agents after the death of Mino Raiola and ask about the most brutally honest manager interviews. This is The Game. Hello again. Welcome back to The Game Podcast with myself, Hugh Wizencroft. Tony Cascarino is here, the former uh, Chelsea and Celtic forward, as is Tom Roddy. We'll be joined a little bit later on by Matt Lawton as well. Loads for us to discuss. Let's start, though. Of course, let's start at the bottom of the Premier League because things are getting tighter and tighter. Uh, Victories this weekend for both Everton and Burnley, whilst defeat for Leeds means this is how it currently stands as we speak on Tuesday morning. Burnley is 16th on 34 points. Leeds 17th, 34 points. Only goal difference between them. And Everton 18th on 32 points, but with a game in hand on those above them. And they got a big win this weekend at Goodison Park. It was so important for them. It finished Everton 1, Chelsea 0. Tony Cascarino, what was key to Everton's win this weekend? Brilliant goalkeeping. I mean, Pickford's performance was up there with the very best. Chelsea weren't very clinical added on to that. I would probably say Rudiger really did look like he is leaving the club in the summer because he's been fantastic for Chelsea uh, this season. I thought Ashbelequator looked like he's lost half a yard and it's probably he can't recover like he once did. Cut and dry of it all was that Chelsea should have won the game, won the game quite comfortably. But the endeavour of Everton, who continued on their incredible work rate as they did at Anfield and they got the rewards from a team performance that had so much athleticism you know and just rolling up them sleeve blood and sweat for their team and unfortunately it's been said before they'd have had anything close to that in any part of the season this year they would have been mid-table and above they would not be in a relegation fight Do you think they've got enough to get out of it if they keep that up Tony? Oh well if you saw Saturday's game and the one at Anfield, you watched them both, you'd think absolutely no problem of staying up. I mean, it doesn't help when other teams go into good form as well, Hugh, because that always can create a problem for itself. You know, they get closer to Leeds, which gives them another chance of catching somebody. What you can't do this time of the year, you can't go into relegation form. And when teams go into form of 
a sort of European. I mean, you know, Burnley have gone into European sort of form, haven't they, to get to get points. And so it's it's very hard to call. And if you look over the history of the game, especially in the last 10, 15 years, there's been loads of clubs have gone in great form when there's no evidence before <laughs> before the games they've played that they would go and get results. Remember Sunderland doing it. You know, Conor Wickham going on a great run. I remember West Ham doing it. Tevez getting a goal at Man United to win a game and thinking, where did these these wins come from? We haven't seen ever, any evidence of this all season. And that's why you have to be very careful about predicting because things just don't plan out how we think. You know, Arsenal did a similar thing at the other end of the table in recent, recent weeks. With all the games we thought they'd win, they lost. And the games we thought they'd, you know, lose, they won. Mm. So it's really, really tricky. I do think it's interesting this season, the, the relegation fight, if you like, that so many teams have woken up to their situation yeah. quite early because we look and some teams have five, four games left. And actually now is the point that a lot of teams used to say, oh my word, we're in such big trouble. But actually looking at the Premier League table, because of the way things had gone, it was evident, wasn't it, that it was maybe going to be three or four. Now looks like three or five, if you like, in terms of the bottom of the table. But where Southampton are and the, and the gap that they have, and it's surprising to even see Southampton uh, in 15th place, but there's a six-point gap between them and 16th. And so it was very evident, evident. Obviously, it looks like we've already got two down. Burnley, Leeds or Everton were going to be the teams involved for some time. And actually, I I think that has pushed teams like Everton, teams like Burnley, you know, up a couple of gears with still quite some number of games to play, which means there will still be twists and turns, I think. But also, I think one of the good things for this period in terms of Everton is we looked at their fixtures and we thought, my word, they're going to be incredibly tough. You looked at it and thought they were going to be losing every single week. So to beat Chelsea and Manchester United, two of the teams that we thought definitely they're going to lose, even if Manchester United were out of form. They got a point against Leicester. They played them next, and you actually feel like Everton could could go and get something out of that game as well. And then suddenly the games against Watford, Brentford and Crystal Palace take a totally different complexion, yeah. which is why I think these are big, big results for Everton. Um, do you think they will signal a great end to the season for Frank Lampard's side, Tom? Yeah, I do, but partially because I think there's two key games there that they have to win from the run-in, and what they benefit from, so, weirdly, I mean, the, these things seem to be a bit of a, a myth at times, but they really benefit from Goodison Park, don't they? I mean, mm. it's it's not a surprise when you look at their run. They're actually in terrific form at, <laughs> at Goodison Park. It's on the road where they seem to capitulate. So, you know, they play Brentford and Palace at home um, out of the remaining games. Very, you know, they're definitely winnable games. Pick up six points there, and I think they're, they're safe. Pick up a, another point, a couple of points from the rest of their games. Absolutely, they're safe. But the the thing is, t Tony kind of touched on it that what they've benefited from is a bit of pra is pragmatism as well. Because when Frank Lampard was appointed, it seemed a slightly bizarre appointment in a way, and you sort of saw his first games. It didn't really uh, click partially because you had a manager with a point to prove but part of what he wanted to prove was that he could he played sexy football he played nice attractive football and that's not what Everton needed and the penny seems to have dropped at the right point what they need is points they need pragmatism and they showed that against Liverpool they certainly showed that against Chelsea 
and they've done it at the right time because as we've discussed before it'd be cataclysmic for them to go down mm. it feels like duncan fergus is in charge again you know his period <laughs> when he got the club yeah yeah and they just went right running chase people down make it as hard as we can for them we'll battle our socks off and frank lampard's done that which is totally what everton have needed to do and and, and that reminded me as i'm watching the weekend i'm thinking God, it's Duncan Ferguson back in charge because it's exactly what he did when they were in trouble last time. Yeah. So fair play to Frank. He's recognised it. He could have, you know, his ego could have got the better of him and he could have gone, do you know what? I'm playing the way I want to play. That might take you down. I, I don't see them going down if they're, they're going to put that much energy and their team was full of running ability and some decent technical players. I mean, with Charleston, Gray, you know, and a good, that young lad, Golden, who looks a real hell, hell of a talent. But generally, it, it all was built on that taking it to the opposition through endeavour and mm. courage and determined not to get beat. Interestingly, in the Times this weekend, Tom, uh, Henry Winter's written about Jordan Pickford, who had a pretty good performance uh, this weekend. Um, he actually says he's better than Arsenal's Aaron Ramsdale, very much England's number one. And it led some of the boys at the Times to have a little bit of a conversation about Jordan Pickford's future, if indeed Everton are relegated. I mean, before we start thinking of those extremes, I know the Everton fans are unhappy with us at the moment. Let's just talk about that performance from him and where he currently stands in terms of the best keepers in the Premier League what do you think not sure where he stands in terms of the best but it, it, that the performance yesterday was was incredible particularly that save but it, it's interesting you know we we arrive at games quite early and you watch the players doing their warm-ups and goalkeepers all they do well I'm sure they do a lot more than this but a lot <laughs> of what they focus on is making a save and getting up again as soon as possible and that was key in what he did that's the reason that he did what he did I mean I, I kind of feel sorry for Jordan Pickford this season because he's not had a lot of protection so you know he's had these these chances to make great saves I actually thought um, Ben Foster's for uh, Watford um, at the weekend was was an incredible save as well. Very different, but incredible save. And But with, with Pickford, uh, the, the problem is he hasn't really... He doesn't really put a foot wrong in terms of the, the comparison with Ramsdale. I mean, he couldn't be doing any more than he has been doing Ramsdale, I don't think. He's got that ability playing out from the back. And Pickford's one of these goalkeepers, one of these players who's quite... You, you want to call him emotional because of the the sort of puffed out chest after those saves yesterday, and sometimes that's put at him as a bit of a criticism. But I think that's what you need, especially in the situation Everton are in. He's yeah. got those rosy cheeks, Jordan Pickford. Always, always <laughs> makes him look a bit flustered, doesn't it? Yeah, it does help when you're in front uh, in front of him that he's having he's got a back line that are not very good, and uh, you're making a lot of saves. I mean, I do laugh when David Howe wins like four out of five uh, sort of. Uh, player of the year awards at Man United well because he was really busy the team in front of him weren't very good and that sort of helps Jordan Pickford I think he's a big time goalkeeper as well I think when he gets pushed comes to shove he really can perform in the biggest games he seems to get a real kick out of them you know the weekend it felt like a massive game for them a game they so had to win because of what Burnley did prior to the game that their Jordan Pickford sticks out his chest and thinks oh, I want to be that man mm. he's got that feel about him Jordan Pickford yeah, yeah. and um, I thought and obviously if you're in a World Cup and like he has in the Euros he's played extremely well I mean he does love big time games without mm. a doubt mm. 
Mm. Uh, look, it's going to be a, a difficult one from here until the end of the season for Everton, but they are certainly showing the quality they need to get out of trouble, get out of the relegation zone. I, I really felt, actually, for Burnley uh, this weekend, it's almost a case of what do they have to do at times. Before we get to Burnley, I did want to ask one question about Chelsea while we're here after their defeat, because I, I, I saw that game and the way that they have in recent weeks, I mean, you, I don't want to call it capitulation, you know, they haven't been that bad, but um, the inconsistency that they have shown is not what we expected from Chelsea and their end to the season I don't know I don't know what it exactly shows us but it's not great any other season if Roman Abramovich was in full control of Chelsea I think we'd be talking about a manager at risk as we know, he doesn't like to keep his managers for more than a couple of seasons anyway. And it seems like the control will be out of his hands, of course, which I think is going to save Thomas Tuchel because if this continues until the end of the season, I mean, that's time for a change, usually at Chelsea at least. Well, Roman might have sacked him after the Arsenal defeat. <laughs> um, look, there's a number of issues at Chelsea and it's not just off the field. Is I don't like their forward line. I, I, I don't think it complements each other I look at Havertz Werner and Mason Mount now Mason Mount's the top goal, goal scorer of them three he's got ten Havertz has got seven in the Premier League and Timo Werner's got a miserable four it's worrying because I just don't think they gel they don't look as convincing as a forward line they are all got a talent I'm, I say that I'm not quite sure what Timo Werner is I mm. uh, I, I understand he can cover cover every blade of grass on the football pitch and he'll never stop trying, he'll never stop running and you can love him for that. But there's a real lack of technical brilliance to be a Champions League player and a top goal scorer for Chelsea. Mm. I just don't see that with Timo. I, I think his game is just way too inconsistent. But then there's, there's other forwards with big deficiencies in their games as yeah. well albeit all very talented you, you yeah. were about to I'm sure go into them but you look at Hakim Ziyech clear talents he's not going to go out there every week and produce you just know he can in, well, in little fits and spurts and it's not just him it's it's Havertz Pulisic, Pulisic exactly Hudson-Odoi you know all of them are yes. players that can produce but they just don't go out there no. every week and produce and if you want to be a top club and you look yeah. at the others you need to do that well if you look at City and Liverpool and you're obviously you're comparing because they're the top two sides and Chelsea Chelsea line in third. You know, are the inconsistencies at Liverpool? Diaz, no. Yota, no. Salah, no. Mane, no. Firmino, no. Then you go to City and go Foden. Then you go uh, Bernardo Silva, Mares, and you just uh, Gabriel Jesus, and it's like, well, these are all consistent. And Chelsea are the complete opposite for me, where you could say they're all good players, but they're all so inconsistent. I think as well to answer your question on Tuchel, it's this whole situation, I, I don't think that is entirely Thomas Tuchel's fault, um, the forwards. And I also think that when his team was at their best and when they were on that incredible winning run, when they were uh, um, at the beginning of the season in a title race, it wasn't there wasn't a standout striker or goal scorer. Mm. There wasn't an individual who was scoring all the goals. It was made up. It was a team where you didn't know whether the goal was going to come from Ben Chilwell at left wing back or Reese James at right wing back or Kai Havertz up front. It, it, danger came from everywhere. And I think the... It's not far off a capitulation, Hugh, from what you said at the beginning. It's mm. the, in terms of the way they're performing. And I think the reason is a consequence of the situation around them. I don't think they would be playing this way if it wasn't for the off-field issues. And I don't think Tuchel will ever um, blame the form on the situation. 
because he's already said, look, we won, I think it was six games in a row after after the sanctions were put on the club. But it's the, the fall in form came when you saw the impact. So uh, Christensen decides to go, Rudiger decides to go, others are talking about potentially going as well. There's There's real discontent there. And when you see that happening around you, it falls apart. Um, and that's that's what I feel has happened. I hate giving players an excuse. I feel like mo- <laughs> I feel like every time you give a modern player an excuse, they take it and they run with it. And yeah. suddenly every post-match interview becomes about what the media have said is what's going on rather than what maybe is going no, it's on. A re- it's a really good point. Funnily enough, sorry to divert, but I went um, went to a, a LMA conference last week and they had Mark Beaumont, the cyclist, um, speaking there. And he was talking about um, his cycling around the world in 80 days. And he said, all these sponsors said to him, don't tell anyone what you want to do, that you want to do it in 80 days, because if you do it in 81, you'll break the record by miles, but you'll have fallen short of what you were doing. And he said, no, I need to, because I need to set that target. And I kind of look at football clubs and teams and players and in something like cycling, I think this is why you see the domination from individuals in 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 single sports is because the responsibility is on them. It's them alone. Whereas there's you you can have an excuse in football. You can look around and say, well, it's because of that. It's because of that. In in individual sport, it is on you and you alone. You also get paid more in individual sport <laughs> when you win. And of course, you get paid win, lose or draw in football at the moment. So that's just how it is, um, aside from bonuses, of course. And we'll come to agents in football a little bit later on. Watford all but mathematically down after their defeat by Burnley. I wanted to ask about Roy Hodgson's future. He came back into football to try and rescue Watford. I don't know if we've maybe seen Tony the same Roy Hodgson. I don't know what that is. I don't know if he feels ownership or a connection to Watford or whether it was just to show us all that he could still manage in the Premier League. What what have you made of his time with Watford? I think if you ask Roy six months, a year down the line about his period, he'll probably say to you, it's the worst team I had. You know, for whatever reason, collective, individually, they didn't gel particularly well. I have always said I like the forward line at Watford and yet they've not returned nowhere near what I'd imagine they could do. Ismail Asar's a dangerous player. You know, they've got Dennis. Uh, Josh King has been around the block. You think his experience would bring something to the table. Cleverly, you think, again, real good assist player. I think Roy would be hugely disappointed about the way that they've capitulated, especially at Vicarage Road. There's been lots of concern. And it's not just that part of the team. But if you're going to go and win games, these players have to be at their best. And maybe some of them know if Watford are going down, they're more likely to go as well. There is one or two of them players I've just mentioned who have been rumoured to be elsewhere that clubs will take. And I think that's part of the problem at Watford is that you've you've got this situation. Well, if we go down, for some players, it actually might be more beneficial. So mm. it's a strange dynamic, and I think Roy would be hugely disappointed that he hasn't been able to to turn the tide on in any shape or form. I mean, to, the weekend was typical. You know, you go one nil up against a team that's fighting relegation, and you find yourself losing the game in the latter stages. And Roy will take a lot of. I think he he prides himself in in making a team very difficult to beat. Well, this Watford team is one of the easiest teams yeah. to beat. Yeah, I felt I, I watched that game and. Um, 
the the goals that were scored were so simple and so yeah. easy and so unlike a Roy Hodgson team to concede. I mean, the Jack Cork one was yeah. in, incredible. Charlie Chay- Charlie Taylor's got no pressure on the ball. Nothing. No on the one's cross. no one's stopping that cross. No. And it it, ta- it takes an eternity. And by the way, both goals had about four or five Burnley players in the eighteen yard yeah, box. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I actually thought that um, what Mike Jackson said after the game said more about Watford than it kind of did about Burnley because he said when he was asked how they how they've done this Burnley he said we just reminded them of who they are and there is Burnley have had this culture and an identity and Mm. that you never expect them to really go down they'll always have something within them whereas at Watford and you hit the nail on the head Tony by saying that it's a club where people come and go so often the manager is, uh, is is most prominent from what we see, but <laughs> players come and go, and uh, the the cork equaliser was a great example because you had even with him at the back post, you had um, Ashley Barnes coming through and Sissoko, who's the captain of the team now, just pointing at him, letting him run through unmarked, and just pointing <laughs> at him. You know, it's it's not it's not you expect for no. a game like that those um, throwing bodies in the way of, of challenges and just coming off the pitch it was know. the opposite to Everton you know yeah. if you watched Everton and played it the pace of the game and the way that Watford played you could come away and go well Everton got the result because of that and Watford lost because of this um, listen, I, I think Watford had a very poor season, really disappointed by them. Disappointed by Norwich City as well. I, I mean, look, so many people spoke about them at the start of the season. Maybe we thought there was going to be a bit of a resurgence under Dean Smith, a bit of fight, maybe a bit of change of direction. But actually, um, it wasn't to be for them. They are relegated back down to the championship after a lacklustre defeat by Aston Villa. And I, it sounds like a, a rude question to ask. So please, I, I don't mean it in this way, but how useless was were Norwich this season. Did, you do mean it in that way, I don't way, mean don't it that you? way. What I mean is, did they deserve the criticism? Do they deserve to be labelled as that? One thing that bothered me, and I like looking at numbers because I think it does tell a story on stats of what you do and what you achieve and where you fell. And Pookie's got 10 Premier League goals again this season. And he, last time he was in the Premier League, he got 11 when they got relegated. Which if you was a manager of a team fighting at the other end, you'd probably sign a contract and say, I'll take 11 goals and I'll take 10. The next goal scorer at Norwich was two, Josh Sargent in the Premier League. There's no one else on two. So the next are ones. So it tells you none of this team, apart from Pookie, can score a goal. And so to me, you're staring relegation in the, in the face. Mm. Now... They were a team that got incredible numbers in the championship. So it's like that, can that championship striker score goals in the Premier League sort of argument? Well, yeah, you're not going to get 70 goals in the in the Premier League. Well, we're not, we're not asking that. But can you get 35, 40 maybe? I think Watford have got at the moment something like 22. I think I'm about right, about early 20s in goals in 33, 34 games. That is absolute guaranteed relegation. So my, my problem would be also, are the managers not trying to set up their teams to be a bit more bolder without being gung-ho as Leeds were at times to say, look, we're going to cause problems to teams and we can score goals in the Premier League. Pookie getting 10 to me is extraordinary. I think fair play, I'm like, he should be up for the golden boot, getting 10 at work, <laughs> not at Norwich. Yes, they've scored 22 and he's got 10 of them, which is yeah. absolutely remarkable. Listen, they are down, they are gone. I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about them a little bit before the end of the season, but really lackluster all campaign from Norwich. Fulham have been promoted as champions from the Championship. They 
they will be in the Premier League next year and they could be joined by Bournemouth if they can beat Nottingham Forest this Tuesday. However, Nottingham Forest could leapfrog them in the table with victory and that would mean they would be three points away from a long-awaited return to the top flight. The question I'm asking you two today is, and I'm sure we'll react to the full-time score in that match on Thursday, but which of these two teams do you think would bring more to the Premier League? Tom Roddy. Forrest, <clears throat> without a doubt. Reason being, because it's 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 kind of in a in a totally different way, similar to Brentford, that kind of feel-good story uh the, the difference is that Brentford obviously had had never been in the Premier League before and weren't known as this giant of of English football whereas Nottingham Forest have the history behind them but it's what the club has created it's what the manager has created so Steve Cooper I mean he they've they've used loan system really well Forest and also the signings as well. It's it's funny that you've got Steve Cook and Sam Surridge who could be who could be putting Forest above their former club um, tonight. But he just he's he's a really attractive manager to work for, isn't he, Steve Cooper? And you see players they grow under him, they progress and develop. And we saw it at Swansea City. He it's it's no surprise that. England under 17s won the World Cup all those years ago now and we've we've discussed his his quality on the podcast before and you can see him now being up for so many jobs but hopefully he brings Forrest up because I think they can do what Brentford have done and stay up and ride mm. that crest of a wave agree Tony yeah um, I echo everything Tom said there I mean I, I interesting Sam Sturridge who he talked about I I saw quite a bit of and I was surprised that there wasn't many more takers to actually go after him because I think he's a real handful in many ways um, i, I got to say that I'd say Fulham are a side that I'm just as, as attracted to because Marco Silva team playing a very quick fluent attack minded way and he's got a bit of a point to prove mm. uh, the fact that you know he's had a difficult time in the Premier League but I think he showed that, you know, everyone's going to fail in a job. Is he a good manager? And the answer is, of course he is. And seeing Mitrovic coming back to the Premier League, and I, I've always felt, do you know what? Because Rafa Benitez didn't think he was good enough at Newcastle, that's enough for everybody else to go, well, he's not good enough. And Scotty, Scotty Parker, for as well as he'd done at Fulham, I thought he made a mistake around Mitrovic into the running when they were fighting relegation. Because I saw him, I think it, I was him a few times, but the one I think I remember is at Villa Park, him getting a couple of goals and then being left out. Mm. And I never quite got the Mitrovic thing. He's in a team that's got loads and loads of legs, real fast players around him, because he's not blessed with great pace, but he's a very good natural striker in finishing. He can score goals in the Premier League. I have no pro no problem at all in thinking he can't. He's got a great international record, scores some big goals against some very big nations. He's capable. Will he get 40? Of course he won't. <laughs> you know, will he get 15? Do you know what? I wouldn't be surprised if Mitrovic got close to 15. He must be playing, though, week in, week out. One thing he can't do, and, and again, Fulham paid the price last time when they got relegated, is that when he didn't play, he needs to be playing a lot because yeah. he needs to be... He's, he's, you know, he's not built naturally. He needs to be as fit as he can be, Mitrovic. Yeah. So he has to play. He did have injury concerns last uh, time around in the Premier League. I didn't think that helped him. I went to a no. game at 
Craven Cottage. And um, funny enough, this was when there were, were no fans, obviously. And Mitrovic was, it was literally like he was the 10,000. You know, it was ridiculous how much noise, getting behind the team, yeah, screaming yeah. out instructions um, from alongside us in the press box. You know, he's fully behind the team. I think I've always questioned his, it, not ability, but actually his character to play in a side which are such extreme underdogs, which I think Fulham will be. He gets really frustrated, gets annoyed with his teammates. He's just a totally different character. He wants to score goals. He wants to score goals, yeah, in a team that plays well and a team that doesn't play well. And I think that has grated managers in the past. You know, they need someone who has the maturity and maybe with age he's getting it now to lead the line at a team towards the bottom of the Premier League. Can I just make one final point? Rafa chose Rondon over Mitrovic, okay? Mm. Now, okay, Rondon's a little bit older, but never would I say Rondon would outscore Mitrovic at any level, Premier League or Championship or wherever you want to go, the international record. Rondon wouldn't like paper or you know, whatever you meant to like. I can't remember now. <laughs> but what my point is that if you told me out the two and Rafa chose Rondon, I, I, sorry, I don't agree with that. Well, we'll see if Mitrovic can continue to score goals as Fulham come back to the Premier League. We'll also keep a very close eye to see if Nottingham Forest can get past Bournemouth in what is essentially a playoff final between those two sides for a place in the top flight. Should be absolutely sensational. And anyway, we've been talking about the EFL a lot and we will be doing so more before the end of the season. Wickham Wanderers goalkeeper, formerly uh, of Fulham and Brighton, of course, David Stockdale has had a fascinating chat with us about his life, his time in sport, his career growing up, fatherdom, all sorts of stuff. You can check out part one from Wednesday. So if you're listening and it's Wednesday, check it out right now. But of course, finish listening to this podcast for first. Plenty more to come. We'll be joined by our chief sports correspondent, Matt Lawton. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings so you can navigate it just by listening books contacts calendar double tap to open breakfast with anna from 10 to 11 and get on with your day accessibility there's more to iphone if you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery think again juvederm volux xc is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime even better this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment no maintenance required improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with juvederm volux xc for important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you ready to pop the question the jewelers at blue have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds and they're ready to ship to your door 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Next up, we've got to discuss an exclusive in The Times. The Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, considering a proposal to give some of the proceeds from the sale of Chelsea to grassroots football in the UK while ensuring the majority still goes to support the victims of the crisis in Ukraine. Matt Lawton, our Chief Sports Correspondent, joins us on the Game Podcast. Hi, Matt. Tell us why you think this is happening and and how it could work. Well, second, I'll part of that question. I'm not sure how it could work, um, but I'll come on to that. Uh, Why is it happening? Um, It's happening because, from what I understand, it's a story by Steve Swinford, our um, political editor. Uh, David Dean, the former director at Arsenal, has suggested this. Now, if you rewind a bit, if you remember, when uh, the FA were proposing to sell Wembley, it would have been this kind of sum of money that Martin Glenn, the then chief executive, was was talking about investing into grassroots football. Um, it, I always remember it was, I think, Wembley cost about $757 million to build, uh, would have been sold to, um, to Khan, uh, the Fulham owner, uh, for in excess of a billion. So enormous sums of money being talked about. And this is the sum of money that they're talking about here, $750 million. There's a couple of issues I see with that. First of all, are we really thinking that it would be appropriate to take 750 million away from victims of what's happening in Ukraine? Um, you know, are we really saying that we we want money for you know to be spent on 3G pitches at Crawley Town rather than uh, people that are perishing in their homes at the moment in Ukraine? Um, so, I, that, but that's just my opinion and my sort of moral sort of view of it. I think the bigger problem actually, Hugh, is is that that kind of cash as things stand isn't going to be available because, uh, and it's a story we're working on uh, at the moment uh, at the Times, there's, there's a, the bigger problem is around this loan. Um, and it's emerged in the last few days, and I've alluded to it in a couple of pieces in the last couple of days, that if you remember when Abramovich was first put Chelsea up for sale, there was this promise that he was going to pay he was going to clear clear the debt of 1.54 million uh, billion that he's owed. He was going to write that debt off. That is no longer the situation. He uh, a story first emerged last week that because of the sanctions that have been imposed by the UK government, he actually isn't a, isn't in a position to do that. But the story we're working on now is the fact that there are there are problems with the treatment of that loan. And the fact is, certainly the way that people are viewing it at the moment, whoever buys the club, they're actually going to have to clear that debt themselves. And that could be a big problem for government because obviously the government have got to got to approve this deal. And what they won't want is for almost half, well, more than half of this three billion that's going to be used to buy the club to actually be taken to pay off a loan that Abramovich is owed. And, and what they're trying to work through at the moment is how that money doesn't end up either with Abramovich or his beneficiaries when he is a sanctioned individual under these UK government sanctions. Matt, how do you think that will affect the bidders? Will some pull out? Well, the Bowley Group has been chosen as the preferred bidder. And as I understand it, this is a problem that surfaced very late in the day, in the last few days 
has caught everybody by surprise, the government included, and they're trying to work through it. But it is an issue. And uh, I wrote, as I say, uh, on Monday morning, in Monday's Times, I, I alluded to the fact that the treatment of the loan would need to be to the satisfaction of the government. I think the issue is, Hugh, it's not so much about bidders withdrawing. It's about it's about what what has been agreed by the Bowley Group with regard to that loan and whether that will be met with government approval. If it isn't, I can see the Bowley takeover running into trouble. Now, very significantly in the last few minutes, and sadly, we, we I'd actually become aware of this in the last hour, but one of the supporters groups has just revealed it. Jim Ratcliffe is meeting and has met supporters groups. He's not giving up. And the reason he's not giving up is because he can see this potential, he can see the potential for the Bowley takeover running into trouble. Wow, it's going to be a big story. Um, and Matt, I know you're going to be working on it, so you can read that. More about that, of course, in the Times app right now. And make sure you pick up a paper tomorrow as well, because uh, if you're a Chelsea fan, you really need to stay abreast of what is going on. A very fast moving story. Matt, thank you for that update on Chelsea. There is more that we want to talk to you uh, about. Up next, we wanted to talk to you about agents, because the big one of the big yeah. stories in the past week, me. Nino Raiola, the agent that represented some of the most high-profile names in football, has sadly passed away at the age of 54. The Dutch-Italian stable of players, including the Dortmund striker Erling Haaland, Manchester United midfielder Paul Pogba, and the AC Milan forwards Latan Ibrahimovic. He was also president Raiola of the Football Forum, which represented leading agents and their players. We want to talk about agents as a whole. I'm sure Tony Cascarino was slightly different in your day, but Raiola did have a bad rep. It was widely reported that sums, the vast sums that he would request as an agent in some of the big deals that he did, it left him with a, a very bad reputation from football fans and from clubs alike. Some negative comments made by managers that had to deal with him, etc. And there are some that remarked after his passing that, in fact, he was a really positive influence in terms of getting for players the maximum value in their contracts, which was frankly his job. Um, his legacy in football, I'll leave that up to the fans and the players to decide. But do you think agents of this type, Matt, had a, a positive or negative effect on football? Well, it depends from whose perspective you're looking at it. I think for players, they would say positive because, you know, he was one of the sort of influences if you like in terms of the salary rises and 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 the value that um is put on the modern footballer you know because the fact of the matter is if one player secures for argument's sake a three hundred thousand pound a week deal at one club then that becomes the new that becomes the new level that every other uh top player aspires to um you know and and that's been that's been the case for the last 20, 25 years, you know, I, I think I've talked on this podcast before about being on holiday in 96 and just being absolutely staggered that Newcastle had paid 15 million quid for Alan Shearer. I just couldn't believe my eyes. I was in Bank I was in Thailand on holiday and I'm reading the Bangkok Post and I just couldn't believe <laughs> someone had paid 15 million pounds for a footballer. Now people are yeah, players are getting that in salary alone, annual salary alone. So the agents like like Raiola, like Peeney Zahavi, have been a massive 
uh, influence in driving that market. So yeah, from a player's perspective, um, I'm sure they that they've welcomed their influence. Um, not all players would see it that way. I'm sure Gary Neville wouldn't necessarily see it that way because of the way they can also agitate and unsettle and, and can affect uh, dressing rooms uh, when they're trying to get players out. Um, that you know they're very aggressive marketeers, basically. What do you think about agents, Tony? Well, I I do laugh because there's a part of me that reminds myself of deals gone by in the late '80s and when Jerome Anderson was around and there was Dennis Roach, who Matt Lawton would know, you know that that their dealings and they were sort of a, the super agents of the time. Um, Keir Jaropkin today, you know, he's not only involved in players deals he's involved in buying a football clubs you know and apparently he's got offices in China New York and England in London you know so super agents have been around for quite a long time some of the deals that were put in place even as by going back to the late 80s were pretty extraordinary I just think we didn't know as much detail as we do now when we see a contract and Matt touched on there of you know 15 million pound a year wage or you know which is a huge sum you know I can remember John Barnes going and get 10,000 a week at uh, Liverpool which was the biggest but by a decade later, Roy Keane had signed £100,000 a week at Manchester United. So they've always been there. The problem is that football has so much money. And I'm talking at the very top level. It obviously doesn't isn't the same in League uh, Championship, League One, League Two. But the top flight football and the biggest football clubs do extraordinary deals and have made a number of agents. I've, I've lucky enough... I mean, an agent, funny enough, today, who's a friend of mine who I used to play with, and now he's got 70 players. And he's always, his first port of call as an agent is to make sure his player goes to the right club. It's not just based on finance. Mm. Now, he tells me that. I would say, well, it is really, you know, we are trying to get the biggest and best deals. But he said, yes, look, the interest of the player, is this the right move for him? which is, for me, the most important thing an agent should do, is not say, well, there's £10 million up for grabs here if you go there, but there's five here. But actually, the five there is a much better move for you because it'll make you a much more complete player and you'll get more money further down the line. So that's, to me, what a good agent should be doing. Unfortunately, Viola, to me, has always been up there with the biggest players, getting the most money, and deals that... I like the the money he's been paid is like a transfer fee in itself, which is way beyond the norm. Like the staggering one, Tony was the he got forty odd million yeah. out of the Pogba, Pogba deal, yeah. and that's the bit, Hugh, that as always. Look, if the players are happy, the players are happy. If they're happy that this guy, if they're happy with the contracts they get that this guy's negotiated, then then fair enough. But the bit that's always amazed me, and 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 this isn't just Raiola, this is a lot of. Uh, players and agent relationships is just how happy some players seem to be by just how much their agents are making on the back of their talent. You know, I, I, I always remember going to see, uh, I went to Spain uh, to visit uh, a pretty prominent footballer. I'm not going to say who it was. So I don't want to, you know, the, uh, you know it would potentially embarrass them, but, and I went to their villa and it was the best villa I've ever been in in my life. It was fantastic, this villa, like James Bond-style villa. And I was like, my word, you know, this really is how the other half live. Next door, another villa was being built. And I said, oh, whose is that? Because actually, around these villas, there were a number of fairly prominent people owned in this particular part of Spain. I said, oh, that's my agent. That's my agent's villa. So, all right. 
And I noticed that they, there was a lift shaft going into this villa. And there wasn't a lift shaft in the player's villa. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, does that not bother you that he's got a lift in his villa when you're the, you're the one with all the talent? And he didn't care. He didn't care. And I, I was just like, okay, fair enough. And, and I, I just, I just, you know, because he still had a lovely villa. And, 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 and you know, uh, this is the, look, it's just my observation about, about the dynamic. And Tony would understand this better than I would because he's been a professional footballer. But that's the bit that I've always just thought a lot of players, and, and Tony mentioned Roy Keane there. Roy Keane just brought a lawyer in. Michael Kennedy was his yeah. lawyer. He's passed away now. He's a lovely man. Um, he started off as a property lawyer. Uh, I think, as the story went, I think I'm right in saying this, he was a property lawyer who helped David O'Leary buy a house when he was at Arsenal. And that's how he got to know a footballer. And it went from there. And um, basically, Roy Keane would just call Michael in to negotiate his contract. And he would get paid as a lawyer. That, to me, seems sensible but some players they want the full treatment they want the full care package they don't seem to care that the agent is getting 40 million quid there's no way paul popper got 40 million quid when uh, when he was signed by united the second time but he seemed happy that his agent got 40 million quid and likewise some players don't seem to care that the agent's got a lift and they haven't i'm amazed i'm amazed by it um as someone with an agent that the clubs, that the clubs. How much do you pay them, Hugh? How much do you pay? Well, them? that's the point. I pay them. I pay them. Yeah. But my employers don't pay my agent. I pay my agent. The fact that football clubs give direct payments to agents who actually represent the interests of the player. Now, and this is the thing. So many agents have said, well, actually, I don't just represent a player. I also represent clubs, and that's why they pay us. Yeah. I've always said there needs to be hard and fast rules, FIFA and UEFA. Clubs should not directly pay agents because that leaves you so open to abuse. It's ridiculous. I mean, yeah. the idea that I could say to Arsenal, well, you know, this is a side conversation. My player's not in the room, but uh, Man United are giving me 20 million quid on, on the deal if he goes there. So, you know, if you guys really want to mean to encourage him to come to Arsenal and why it's a better place, then maybe you could put 30 million on for me. You know, that is, That's... that that is, I mean, I'm not saying it has definitely happened. And by the way, those two clubs were just an, an example, I'm not saying they've done anything wrong either. But the idea that a club would directly pay a player is, for me, just mind-blowingly insane. You'd be... Sorry, an agent. No, directly pay an agent. You, you would be really naive to think that hasn't happened. I could. T I know that's happened, okay? And it's a really d difficult one But when you start talking about agents because you, Ken Bates once said to me, he was the old Chelsea owner, once said to me over a negotiation, said, do, do you not think sometimes I might speak to the agent and say, get him to sign for that and I'll pay you this? That conversation must have happened along the way, yeah. you know. Um, so it's. I think it's one of the things that's going to come out in the next decade about some of the carry on with around, around regards to agents and the fees and the, how much it, it comes to. And look, players used to pay agents, as Matt will know. Yeah, Matt, we used to pay. Yeah, them. we uh, that all yeah, changed. That all changed probably yeah. about twenty years ago. There is a yeah. growing trend, but though. Matt makes the point about the um, the amount of money going to agents, but there is starting to be a growing trend where so many family members are becoming agents, and even I think Kieran Trippier has moved to Newcastle. His wife 
acted as the agent Richard Dunn, Man City. Yes. He was saying it, It's happening more and more. Um, I mean, you had, I think, De Bruyne and Sterling at Man City. They were, they were meant to have represented themselves in negotiating mm. contracts. What I think you'll see is, I remember having a conversation last year with the whole Harry Kane situation. Again, another example, his brother Charlie represents him now. Someone said to me, what he needs is Mina Raiola to, he needs to take the hit, pay him the money. If he wants to get the move, get Raiola to go in there and represent him and get the deal done because there are examples of like Henrik Mkhitaryan at Dortmund, Watzka there said, you're not going anywhere. He publicly said he's not going anywhere. Raiola ends up in a meeting, chucking a chair around the room and uh, he ends up, Mkhitaryan does end up leaving <laughs> that summer. He He was seen as the man to get the deal done. But there is a growing trend of agents becoming family members nowadays. Nepotism. Well, it's not just that, actually. I think the agents take so much money, the players probably perceive it as doing very, very little. And they say, actually, my cousin's got a law degree or my wife's got a law degree and they could probably do this. You know, the Clubs are willing to pay you. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. You know, we, we have to remember that clubs are agreeing to pay these fees. Yeah, of course, of course. I, I, yeah. Listen. Like the, 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 yeah, the, the, the staggering bit, for me is actually look and we should stress here there are some really good agents out there yeah. really honest agents who do a really good job for their players uh, there's a few areas of this world and we could go on about this forever but there's a few areas that really baffle me one is when clubs get an agent to act for them in a transfer i don't understand it why do you need to pay an agent to talk to another club you've got a chief executive you, you you've got yeah you've got club director chief executives. Football, technical director yeah you've got club chief executives who are who sometimes have a background in the agency world who still bring in an agent to make the phone call for them mm. I, I find it utterly bizarre utterly bizarre but you, there, there but there are some horror stories and 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 tony that they go back to even you know when when you were playing yeah and you know, I, I, I know. You know, I know one ex-footballer very, very well, who, and again, for legal reasons, can't actually say who it is because yeah. I don't know if the agent is still around, but could probably sue. But had an opportunity to go to his boyhood club, the club he'd supported all his life, and 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 this is an ex-England footballer, and had an opportunity to go there and ended up at another club and was told by the agent it was because they didn't come in with the right offer. And then the following season was playing that club, the, the club that he supported as a boy and wanted to join and would have been his dream, would have been the perfect way to end his career. And the manager said to him at the end of the game, real shame he didn't come to his son. And he said, well, you didn't put the money up, did you? You didn't, you didn't, you didn't match the offer of the club he was playing for. He said, that's not true. And he realised at that point, after you know, after a little bit more investigation, that the agent had moved him to the other club because that was where he was being offered the better deal. Mm. So that deal, because the agent was, as I say, basically lied to him and told him that that that, that the club he wanted to join, the club mm. he'd supported as a boy, wouldn't hadn't come up with the money, and they had, but it was because the other club that he ended up playing for had come up with the money for the agent. And another story, and this is absolutely true, <laughs> that, I, that, that, that I was told by a, by a senior club officer at the time, there was, a, there was a big transfer that went through a few years ago, 11th hour transfer and transfer deadline day. And when it came to it, there was a, there was a last minute problem with what the agent was demanding 
in his fee from the club. And in the end, the agent negotiated a lower signing on fee for the player so that he got the fee that he wanted. Now, whether he actually told the player that actually that £5 million signing on fee is now £3 million and, it, and told him the reason why the signing on fee wasn't what he'd hoped it would be, and it was actually because that that money was paid to the agent. I don't know, but again, you know, these are the kind of things that do happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going all day. Like we could, good. we could, we could absolutely look, Matt. I know you've got work to do. I just wanted one more story out of you because I don't know if you guys saw Neil Harris's interview at the weekend. Gillingham relegated, um, Rotherham up, um, but he was very honest about the players. Brutally honest, in fact, about the players he wanted to keep and what a disgrace the club was in his opinion on how things had been run. And I, it got me thinking about the most brutal comments or most honest opinions you've ever heard from a football manager. Matt, I'll start with you so that you can shoot off. Um, in your oh, experience of dealing with managers, who was the most brutal that you've spoken to in terms of how they would describe things? Oh, well, it had to be Fergie. had to be Fergie. Like, the most cutting, the most brutal of, of anybody I've ever dealt with, it, not least with us. Go away and write your shite. <laughs> was a regular, uh, was, a regular uh, was a regular parting comment as we all have to go away and or can we say it before go yeah, away and write your shite you can you can you absolutely can yeah okay Sir Alex Ferguson the great uh, Matt Lawton thank you for joining us on the game podcast and um, Tom Roddy and Tony Cascarino I've got to get your opinions on this as well Tony what do you think well I, I, I definitely can't out, outdo Matt there with his comments I thought it was a great line I mean one of the, one of the ones that got me was when I was at Aston Villa and I was there a year and a bit and Ron Atkinson came in and I admire him for this, by the way. I applaud him. And I first spoke to uh, Ron Atkinson at Villa. He said to me, um, you can go. And I went, sorry, I've only, I've only been here a year. I've got four years. He went, I'll pay you what we owe you. You can go. You're not for me, son. And that was it. He never spoke to me anymore. That was it. That was done and dusted. And I, I went away and I, I didn't know. You know when sometimes you think, I've got to say something there. You know, that's quite rude to dismiss me in such a way. And actually, I thought, do you know what? I'd rather he be as honest as he can. He's not going to mess me around and play the game of, yep, son, you got a chance, and I'll keep going, keep working, but not actually want me at all. And I, and I always go back to that. I mean, it was brutal at the time, but it, I came out of it thinking, do you know what? He's done me the biggest favour. At least he's told me something I don't like, but I can now get on with and move on or, or find another club. And, and, and I sort of, that was hard to take, yeah. but I still, I felt, I took it in a positive way by Ron. What, what about the media? Most brutal thing that you can remember being written or said about you that you thought, do you know what? It's brutal. It's brutally honest, well, but I'll take it on the chin. Well, I, I tell you what was brutal, and it was from a Sun journalist in Ireland, but it was after my playing days, and I'd written a book with Paul Kimmage called Full Time. And he put a, he put a, a, he referenced the book as a critic and said, just let this book gather dust on the shelves. <laughs> and, I, and I remember thinking, 
bloody hell, this is not going to go well. <laughs> He'd written it, a bit of piece in a column in the Irish, in the Irish Sun. That was his line. Yeah. Gather dust, dust on the shelf. Well. And my my friend Paul Kimmage, who's we've stayed very close over the last 20, 30 years, we always reference that comment because the book done brilliantly well. Oh, but I at see. the time, at the time, it was quite quite. It was really weird to read something where for what have we done wrong here? Yeah. Why has this not worked? We we, we spent a lot of time in conversation. Luckily, it didn't gather dust on the ship. <laughs> good stuff. Go and get it. All good bookstores, I'm sure. Well, spe <laughs> speaking of honest, I mean, that is it, that autobiography is probably one of the most honest you'll ever read, if you haven't already. It is is fantastic. Um, of, of the managers these days, I would say that they all seem to have um, improved in terms of the way they face the media. Openness. No, 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 I don't mean that way. I mean in terms of um, being aware of how they come across is what I mean. So on camera, in the written word, what they're saying, I think they're aware of it. David Moyes can't hide his feelings <laughs> at all. And I think, so he's probably, of this era, is probably the most brutal and, and honest, but in a totally different way to, to what you kind of have meant here, Hugh, actually, in terms of honesty, is... Um, Tony Mowbray's one recently. Have you seen that? The the Blackburn Rovers manager yeah, yeah, where yeah. he talks about leaving this year. And, he, and the honesty part I liked about it was the impact of being a football manager and mm. how, you know, he was talking about how his his son when he got the Blackburn job was I think eight eight years old and now he's gonna he's gonna be a teenager now and he's seen him maybe twice a week over the past five years and just you got the feeling that you missed out on all all this time and this dedication. Yeah. So if you haven't seen that, um, it's well worth a look. We will be trying our best to get some brutally honest answers from Tony Cascarino, Tom Roddy and the Times gang in the future. Uh, listen, thank you so much for listening in with us. been a great podcast. We'll be back on Thursday, so a very short gap. Of course, reacting to those massive games coming up in the Champions League and that huge game at the top of the championship as well. Uh, but remember, we've got that special out with David Stockdale, part one, so you can check that out if it's Wednesday. Should be with you already. Uh, we will, of course, be giving you more award-winning journalism at the Times app. So download it if you can and make sure you're subscribed. It's thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game. We'll see you soon. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books. Contacts. Calendar. Double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.